Welcome to Colts Roundtable Live on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Now he's going to stumble up and he's going to be sacked. Darius Leonard's going to bring him down. Heave it way downfield for Zach Pascal. Touchdown! We're talking Colts and recapping the action. Way downfield for Jack Doyle. He's got it! Touchdown! Comes back 10, 5, touchdown! Michael Pittman, Jonathan Taylor, touchdown! I-N-D-Y! Now here's the voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor. Live from the Power Home Solar Radio Studio. Good evening and welcome to Colts Roundtable Live tonight. Brought to you by Citizens Energy Group. Proud to be the Colts conservation partner. Find winning conservation tips at citizensenergygroup.com. I'm Matt Taylor with you until 7 o'clock tonight. You're on 93.5 and 107.5, the fan, the home of the Colts. Following us tonight, it's Inside IU Basketball with Don Fisher and Mike Woodson. But the Colts dropped a chance to punch their ticket to the playoffs on Sunday as they fell to the Raiders 23-20. The Colts drop back to 9-7 on the season, but a win next Sunday in Jacksonville still guarantees them a playoff spot as a wildcard team. Hopes of winning the AFC South went out the window on Sunday as the Titans clinched the division for the second straight year. The Raiders, who came into the game desperate for a win to keep their playoff hopes alive, started fast. They scored a touchdown on their first drive of the game and blitzed out to an early 10-0 lead. They would lead 13-3 as well before a touchdown by Jonathan Taylor closed the game to 13-10 at halftime. The Colts scored a touchdown on the first drive of the third quarter as well and took the lead 17-13. The touchdown came on a deep shot by Carson Wentz that was tipped by a pair of Raiders defenders. At the goal line, the ball was deflected into the air and right to T.Y. Hilton standing in the end zone for a 45-yard score. The Colts had multiple chances to go up two scores in the second half, but the Raiders' defense held the Colts in check. Las Vegas took the lead 20-17 on an 11-yard Derek Carr touchdown pass with just over 11 minutes to go in the game. The Colts would then go on a 9-minute and 22-second drive that stalled out at the Las Vegas 22-yard line. Michael Badgley made a 41-yard field goal with just under two minutes to play to tie the game at 20, but the Colts would never get the ball back as the Raiders milked the clock, forced the Colts to use timeouts, and kicked a walk-off field goal as time expired for the win. Despite the loss, the Colts had more sacks. They won the turnover battle 2-0, had more rushing yards, and fewer penalties than the Raiders. Jonathan Taylor rushed for 108 yards and set the Colts' single-season rushing record. He passed Edron James' season total in 2,000 for that feat. Taylor also found the end zone in the first half and is now tied with Lenny Moore for the most total touchdowns in a single season in franchise history, and he can break that mark with a score next Sunday against the Jaguars. Taylor also became the youngest player in NFL history with 2,000-plus scrimmage yards and 20-plus touchdowns from scrimmage in a single season. And to top it off, he tied Edron James for the most 100-yard rushing games in a single season in franchise history with 10, and he can break that record next Sunday as well in Week 18. So the Colts will go back to work this week looking to correct mistakes, and they'll be looking for their first road win over the Jaguars since 2014 in the regular season finale. We've got a loaded show, as always, tonight. Coming up, we'll recap the game in uh, more depth with Rick Venturi and Joe Wrights. They'll join me on the next segment. And we're taking your questions all show long using hashtag Colts Roundtable. If you have a question or comment on the Colts for Joe, for Rick, tweet it in using hashtag Colts Roundtable. And you can use that same hashtag to visit or ask your questions for head coach Frank Reich as well, who joins us on the phone right now. Brought to you by Citizens Energy Group. Coach, Obviously, tough game on Sunday. What did the game boil down to in your mind after you watched the tape today? Really just came up a little bit short in all three phases. You know, a game that comes down to uh, a three-point game on the last play of the game, 
you can understand why you can't look at just one play or one phase. It really comes from we all just got to be a little bit better. How disappointing was it not being able to to get that game, win the game at home in the regular season home finale in front of the fan base? I know that was something you wanted the fans to experience seeing the team clinch. No doubt. Uh, it was very disappointing. You know, wanted to have a big win. You know, I could have envisioned us, you know, walking off the field, celebrating with, you know, the players, sure. you know, hooting and hollering up in the stands with the fans. And, you know, so, uh, you know, we're, we're disappointed. We felt like we let the fans down, but we still have an opportunity. we got a great fan base. Um, you know, we got to have a great game this week against a division opponent and, and, and get ourselves into the playoffs. That's Frank Reich with us on Colts Roundtable Live tonight. What was it like for Carson Wentz last week? How did he go about getting ready for the game despite being away from the team physically last week? I mean, he just had to, he just had to do everything um, on Zoom and, you know, participate in all the meetings on Zoom. And, and that, so that was normal because we were virtual last – the whole team was virtual. Mm-hmm. So he was really just like everybody else as far as that's concerned. The big thing was, you know, he couldn't come into the building, couldn't practice. and um, So that's not ideal, but you still got to do the best you can do. Jonathan Taylor breaks the team's rushing record for a single season, a record established by an all-time great in Edgerin James, a record that stood since 2000, Coach. What was it like to see that moment, uh, him get that record, and then the uh, subsequent message by Edge on the video board? Yeah, Edge is such a class act and, uh, you know, one of the true all-time great players in the NFL, but obviously certainly first and foremost a true all-time great Colt. Um, Really happy for that moment. Really happy for JT to be able to break that and mm-hmm. you know class act by Edge uh, acknowledging it. That's Frank Reich with us here on Colts Roundtable Live. If you have a question for Coach, you can tweet it in tonight and every Monday using hashtag Colts Roundtable. Let's leave some time for the uh, fan questions tonight, Coach. Lance is up first. He's asking. We're normally pretty good at getting points off of turnovers, but had no points off of two interceptions yesterday. How much did that hurt us in this game? Yeah, it was a turning point in the game, honestly. I mean, when we came out after halftime, you know, we got the touchdown right in the two-minute drive, then came out and started the second half with that long touchdown pass to T.Y., and then Darius got the interception. You know, we made a nice run to get a first down, and then we stalled out and had a third and six at the 35-yard line and got sacked. Um, That that was a big turning point in the game. So, uh, you know, we just weren't able to finish the finish it off the way we normally do all right this question is coming from bruce teams are loading up to stop jonathan taylor is that going to be the new normal after the buffalo game Teams selling out to stop taylor and forcing us to move the ball in the passing game and, and how do we balance that yeah absolutely i mean everybody is selling out to stop the run and you know credit to jonathan and o-line and really the whole offense that he's you know still able to get 100 yard games and um, and average five yards, average over five yards of carry. Mm-hmm. So um, he's doing a good job. But, you know, we, we need to, we're, we're going to need to be able to be a little bit more explosive in, in the passing game and take advantage of some opportunities we have there. All right. Next question is from Wendell. How much confidence do you have that we can win on the road against Jacksonville and win on the road in the playoffs with our running game, our defense, and our lack of penalties? I, we have a lot of confidence. I think we've proven it this year. You know, we went on the road and, yeah, obviously beat the beat the Bills. Mm-hmm. You know, one of these. You know, beat the Bills, beat the Cardinals. You know, here's you know two top teams. The 49ers are a good team. You know, we won on the road against the 49ers. So um, obviously Jacksonville's been a, a a mystery for us. On you know we haven't been able to solve that puzzle down there. But we just need to have a good week of practice and uh, get ready to play uh, 
a team, a, a good division opponent that we know is going to be up and ready for us. Next question comes from Ben. What is Carson Wentz's secret to his escapability in the pocket when he's seemingly going down for a sack? Defenders just slip off him like water. I think it's a combination of size, strength, and athleticism. You know, he's got all three of those. He's big, he's strong, and, you know, and then he's athletic. So, um, you know, good balance and, you know, does, does, a good job, does a good job being elusive in the pocket. That's Frank Reich with us on Colts Roundtable Live. A few more questions from the fan. Again, hashtag Colts Roundtable to reach Coach every Monday night here on the show. Uh, Darren's question is next. Our defense held the Raiders to only 23 points, and that unit has been playing great for a month. Did the defense play well enough to win against the Raiders? Well, that, that's, a, that's a trick question because, um, you know, the answer – Anybody who plays on defense, sure. anybody who plays on defense, or when you play, whatever position you play, you feel like your unit has to do whatever it takes to win the game. So um, I thought the defense played well, but um, if I was a defensive player, I would say that since our offense scored 20 points, then we needed to only allow the defense to have 19. Right. If I'm an offensive player, if the other team scored 40 and we scored 38, I'd say we didn't play well enough. Um, you always, you know, we got to do, we got to play complimentary football, do whatever it takes mm-hmm. to win the game. Well said right there. All right, last question from the fans this week. Wes, how did you go about scripting the end of the half touchdown to Jonathan Taylor? What a great gamble to go for it on third down with only four seconds with no timeouts. Yeah, I mean, you know, just had a lot of confidence there, you know, at, you know inside the one yard line. Um, we thought we'd take a couple shots at the pass, you know, knowing that the clock would stop, but mm-hmm. then, you know, in essence, got down to where there was four seconds, figured that would be the last play and, um, you know, just punch it in with punch it in with uh, JT and uh, behind that offensive line. Absolutely. That's exactly what happened. All right, Coach. Lastly, the Jaguars are up next. As you said, uh, you saw them back in mid-November. Uh, the Colts won that game 23-17, to but they're a much different team now with an interim coach. Uh, they're on an eight-game losing streak. Uh, the Jaguars are still going to get your team's attention after a tough loss yesterday to the Raiders. What do you see in the Jaguars heading into this game, the regular season finale? Yeah, I, I see a team that I'm anticipating is going to be hungry. They they just had a tough loss as well. Um, they're going to they're going to want to end their season on a positive note. Uh, I see you know they're very good defensively. They played us very tough up here in Lucas Oil. Right. You know, six point six point game. And plus, they're going to take a little pride in, you know, the the little mojo thing that they feel like they have over us down in that stadium. So those are going to be the things we're going to have to overcome. Indeed, as always, Coach, thanks for the time on a Monday night. Have a great week of practice, and we'll talk to you on Friday leading into the game. Thanks, Matt. That's our weekly conversation on Colts Roundtable Live with Frank Reich, brought to you by Citizens Energy Group. Save at home on monthly bills when you can serve water and energy for money-saving tips. Visit citizensenergygroup.com. When we come back, we'll continue to break down Week 17, talk about what's ahead for the Colts in the regular season finale with Rick Venturi and Joe Wrights, and we'll also discuss how the Colts came up short to the Raiders despite playing well in a few key areas. You're listening to Colts Roundtable Live, brought to you by Citizens Energy Group. We're back in a moment here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Caesars Sportsbook, the sportsbook for the people. Download and get started with a risk-free bet of up to $5,000. Terms and conditions apply must be 21 years or older. We now return to Colts Roundtable Live. Once again, here's Matt Taylor from the Power Home Solar Radio Studio. 
Hey, we're back again on Colts Roundtable Live tonight on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. It's presented, as always, by Citizens Energy Group. Proud to be the Colts conservation partner. Find winning conservation tips at citizensenergygroup.com. The show is also brought to you by CBS 4, where news does not stop when you go to sleep. Get caught up with everything with Angela, Nick, Krista, and Rachel weekdays on CBS 4 this morning. I'm Matt Taylor back again with Joe Wrights and Rick Venturi, the former Colts. And, uh, fellas, first off, Joe, I want to go I want to go with you. Did I hear right on the pregame show yesterday that you moved all the clocks back on your phone and in your house an hour on New Year's Eve so that you could get the kids to bed quicker an hour earlier? Every single one, and I hope they're not listening right now. I know they weren't <laughs> yesterday, but, you know, my oldest is almost 11, so they're at the point now when they know New Year's, they want to stay up till midnight. So when the kids went up to take a bath, we switched all the clocks. We switched Jill and I's cell phone because I knew, you know, we had to take it off the automatic time, set the manual. But bottom line, we got it done about 11 o'clock Eastern. We all did a Happy New Year's toast, had some sparkling grape juice, and they were in bed by about 11.10, and then Jill and I got a ring in the new year at midnight. So how about that, my friend? A little advice for you, you know, when Molly gets a little bit older. No, she was five years old. I mean, and she stayed up, man. She was a trooper. We let her stay up till midnight, but I, I never even thought of that to, the, the key, to the go key to that dedication. About, about 6 o'clock, when it goes from 5.59 to 7 o'clock, you do it on the sly, nobody knows, and then you just ride it out. But how did, how did you that's pull a, off? How did you pull that's off? That's an NFL adaptation, Matt. I tell you, uh, if I've ever heard one. I'm well, we, we we did our own countdown. So with about five minutes left, we did our own countdown. Did yeah, a couple but you toes. didn't have the TV on or anything to kind of back no, it up. We're, we're we're not watching that TV garbage <laughs> anyway. Not not with the kids. Who knows what one of those live performances could show? So you got to do it all oh, manual man. at home. So that's the playbook. I'll uh I'll give it to you for next year. Yeah, please do because I was clocking out around ten thirty. That last mm-hmm. hour and a half, I was struggling. What about you, Rick? Did you see Midnight? Are you kidding me? I was <laughs> never going to see Midnight. I told you. The only time I see Midnight is when we're doing a game. We're doing a night game. That, <laughs> as you said last week, when I'm getting paid to be doing it, exactly. I'll be up at midnight. Otherwise, That's I'm, I'm, I'm in deep, deep six. <laughs> well, I'm telling you what, the Colts started the game like they thought it started at two <laughs> instead of one. They were an hour behind, it seemed like, to start that game on Sunday. Rick, uh, what did you glean from the tape after watching it today? Well, you know, it was gut-wrenching. It was gut-wrenching because it was so close back and forth. And even though we knew we weren't on our A game, you know, we still felt like we could win it. It, it, it isn't fatal, but it's, it's disappointing. It isn't surprising to me because I and you, we preached all week how dangerous this game was going to be. You know, they're very well coached on offense. Carr, Jacobs, and the best possession receiver, I said that last week, in Renfro – and they had a defense that was starting to hold people down in terms of points. I thought Frank was totally honest in the postgame. I thought he said it all. He basically said the Raiders out-tacticked us, and they were more emotional, ready to play in all three phases. And, you know, without our A, without our a game, you know, we probably played a B game, you know, the Raiders were victorious. They lit the fire in the first quarter, and they burned the house down in the, in the fourth quarter. Things that I saw at the game and uh, confirmed this morning uh, on the tape, you know, it, again, it was, it was the edges of the game. We played good in the middle, uh, but they won the edges, and I think they kind of set the tempo, obviously, with that first drive. Uh, 20 points, really, essentially, in the first quarter. In the fourth quarter, um, you know, uncharacteristically, kick, kick returns were huge for them. I certainly didn't see that coming. And that helped to dominate field position most of the night. 
I think allowing the Raiders, and I think we've really fallen into a trap now. I think we've overcorrected uh, since Tampa. Allow, allow them to play an eight-man aligned box, eight men in the box aligned. I mean, if free safety's in the middle for a half hour, the nickel and the safety had, you know, had 12 tackles. We had 140 yards passing. You just can't. You're not going to win. You're not. You're not going to go real far doing that, uh, no matter how good Taylor is. And you know, I think Wentz's erratic accuracy and faulty, faulty decision making uh, was alive and well in person. And we've seen that. We've seen glimpses of it, uh, as well as he's played at times. The elephant in the room is that. And then I think the season-long inability by our defense to close out games, fourth quarter finishes. I mean, we're number 30 in points given up, 144, boys and girls. That's what it is. And, you know, when you put those factors all together, it just spit us in the butt big time, you know. Uh, and I think, you know, I think the last, the, the last big play of the game, the car play to Renfro, was really a microchasm of what this game get, came down to. And by that I mean their stars, Carr and Renfro, made big plays, and the Colt stars, Leonard and Moore, did not. End of it. Full stop. Yeah, I agree with you, Coach. And I think a concern of mine going into the game was emotionally, where would we be at? You have the, the game against the Patriots. Then you have the Christmas game, you know, and you play awful well for really two primetime games. It's natural to have a little bit of a letdown. I thought maybe the COVID issues we had would kind of negate that, but they didn't. And Oakland came in and they smacked us in the mouth. Then we recovered and we got going. And, you know, when we scored there at the start of the third quarter and go up 17-13, then we get the interception by Leonard. I'm thinking yeah. this game's over. Yeah, but score, then, score I, right there. The game yeah. is over, Joe. But, I agree but I, with you. I thought offensively mm -hmm. we lost the game in the third quarter. And that next drive right afterwards, you remember, we had a third and six. We're on their 34-yard line thinking we're going to get at least a field goal. We give up a sack on third down. You can't yeah. do it. Critical error to critical time. We have to punt. Then we got them back up they have a third and three on their own 10 and Leonard just misses a tackle on Richard and he goes for about 20 he had a man out of the backfield they go down and punt then we get the ball back again but we go three and out and we miss that pass to T.Y. when he was wide open I thought those two drives offensively the miss Leonard tackle there which is rare for him that yep. lost us the game in the third quarter and the bottom line is I believe everything in life there's positives and negatives, you know, and, and it, they always balance each other out. So to me, the silver lining is I think we got level set a little bit. I think we got humbled in a good way. And as a player, you know, you don't often want to admit it, but sometimes you need those games to get brought back down to earth. And Frank said it best. We got beat in all three phases, offensively, defensively, and special teams. That third one is so rare. We haven't, you know, probably been outplayed on special teams, but one or two games all season, I think in a way we level set. We get back to the basics. We realize that we got to be that hungry team. We can't go out and play like we've accomplished anything because we haven't. And But the good thing is, too, the cards fell our way in that you win and you're in against Jacksonville. And the way the scenarios fall, if we win and the Chargers win and we're the sixth seed, I mean, then we could potentially go to Cincy again. And then if you win that game, your second round game could be in Tennessee. I mean, the fact that Tennessee is going to be the one seed with no Derrick Henry, I think that it could be advantageous for us down the road in the playoffs, just a little bit of lady luck, how it fell. But bottom line, all that matters is Jacksonville. you got to be locked in. you got to make sure as a man you know that 
Yesterday was an aberration, and what we've been doing the last month or so, the last couple months on this playoff climb, that's the team we really are. And I do think that humility is good for all of us at times as players. It's easy to start listening to your friends and family and reading social media posts and the press clippings talking about, you know, are the Colts the favorite in the AFC? And if that happens, you, you get humbled. And I thought we did that yesterday, but I do think it can be a net positive moving forward. Jacksonville notwithstanding, and we'll get into that because there is no uh, automatic in this league. There is none, regardless of what happened yesterday. But I do think that the one thing that you come out of this game with, and it will be this way you know, from now on, is that if you don't carry your A game uh, when you're playing – playoff type teams which the Raiders are basically when you're playing uh you know when you're playing playoff type teams it's not going to be good enough it's just I not agree. so you know as you said you know you, you you recalibrate here uh thank god it's not fatal uh if you win 10 games you deserve to be in and we will win 10 games so you know, we go on from there, but I think there's a lot to what you just said. And and, and coach in a way, you know, we we struggled. We had our B or C game yesterday in a way, you want that to happen now and play our A game against Jacksonville for the momentum going into the playoffs, right? Had we clinched yesterday, then maybe we go and lay a clunker against Jacksonville. Bottom line, we're going to have to play A football the rest of the way out, and we got a chance to kind of salvage that the last game of the regular season. Absolutely. 24-7 A game. Yeah. The Colts had won six of their last seven games going into Sunday, and like you guys said, all is not lost. The Colts can still clinch a playoff spot with the win this Sunday against the Jaguars, who are 2-14 and 14 on the season. So it's almost like the Colts get a, a mulligan as far as the playoffs are concerned. So with that in mind, that's kind of the theme of the rest of the segment, the mulligan. So let's talk about if, if certain areas of the team deserve a mulligan, right? Because the Colts had a chance to get it done, couldn't close out Las Vegas. The Colts led 17-13 to 13 in the third quarter after scoring 14 points at the end of the first half and the start of the second half. They put up two touchdowns between Raider possessions, uh, but the Raiders outscored the Colts, like you said, 10-3 to in the fourth quarter. But the Colts had more sacks, they had more takeaways defensively, more rushing yards on offense, and fewer penalties, but still lost the game. Should this loss, Joe, should it overshadow impressive wins as of late for the Colts against you know, New England, Buffalo, and Arizona? Do the Colts deserve a mulligan with a chance to still clinch a playoff spot next week? Well, I mean, mulligans are something I'm well-versed to because every golf outing, I'll buy as many as I can. I'll take <laughs> nice. them. I'm a horrible golfer, You're so I like the word. Guy. It's a bit of a cloud right now, but bottom line, you go in there and take care of business in Jacksonville and you're in the dance. None of that really matters. All that matters is what kind of football do we play on Sunday and what kind of football do we play next weekend for the playoffs? Because yeah. with Tennessee winning, we were going to be a road team anyway, right? Whether you're the five, six, or seven seed, does it really matter? We're going to go on the road in the playoffs, assume we win, and we're going to play Cincinnati on the road. You're going to play Kansas City on the road, or you're going to play Buffalo and New England on the road. And so all that matters for the Colts is getting themselves oiled back up playing championship football really like they did the two weeks before. And I think Coach mentioned some of those critical areas that have bothered us all year. we got to find ways to make those not as uh, critical errors for us moving forward. But to your point, hard to lose a game when you're at home and you win the turnover battle by two. We found a way to do it. And when I look back, I always try to, you know, a couple big takeaways. Third down, we were third, three of 11. They were 6 of 14, 50%. And then our yards per pass. We mentioned, you know, Wentz was erratic, misses the big one to TY, just wasn't his best. You can't win a game, in my opinion, on the road in the playoffs 
when you're only 5.0 yards per pass. And that's something we got to get more efficiency out of the pass game, more downhill production with some more chunk plays. Yeah, I'm with that. You know, you know, the mulligan is hard for me to define. I guess, you know, I look at it that we have a mulligan in that we have, uh, you know, we have another game to play, and thank God that wasn't fatal. You know, if that would have been, you know, uh, the last game or something, a situation where you couldn't recover from mm-hmm. it, but we get a mulligan because we do have another game to, to, to right the ship. And really, for me, you know, being a coach for as long as I was, all I'm interested in is fix it. How do you fix it, you know? And and I think, you know, the thing that we lost the game, first of all, they had substantially more yardage than we did, 326 to 264. The passing game wasn't even close, um, you know, in that sense, and, and they dominated the third down. Uh, you know, they were much more ready to play, and that, that has been odd because we have started on fire week after week after week, and this time, you know, we got caught napping. They lit the fire um, and, you know, I think that in that respect, you know, basically they deserve the win. And I think the two things that stood out to me and I think will stand out to our players because they are prideful and it, 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 if it basically involved our top guys, not, you know, not, not our down the line guys, our top guys, but, you know, basically I felt like their top players in the end. And I, I chronicled one play, but I think there were a lot of plays they basically made the plays when they had to, Matt, and our top players didn't make the plays. I mean, I think Joe really hit something on the head. I was going to try to hit it later. Is that sequence, that sack, and then that missed third down, that changed the game there in the third quarter. That changed field position for the rest of the day because they were backed up and they got out of there, and that's the one the guy kicked Mm -hmm. to Shapiro's, and we never got that field position back. And then I think in the end, and this hasn't happened a lot, but their their quarterback outplayed our quarterback. So, you know, those are the things in that fourth quarter, that last drive stop, whether it was Tampa or whether it was Sunday, you know, we've got to do that. I mean, no matter what happens, no matter if Wentz isn't on or not, they get the ball. It's a tie game, okay? Your responsibility is to go out and stop them. I mean, you can't say, well, we got two turnovers. We played good. No, your responsibility is to stop them. So, you know, to me, and, and Joe kind of just said it a minute ago too, is it, it's really about fixing mm-hmm. the problem. The problem was there. Some of them have been there the whole time. Yeah. But in the end, you know, the, we, we won't have a mulligan after this week. That's Rick Venturi. Joe Wrights is along. I'm Matt Taylor. This is Colts Roundtable Live with you until 7 o'clock tonight on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Let's talk about Carson Wentz. We all know about his story placed on the COVID list last Tuesday, activated Saturday, then finally cleared to play on Sunday morning. With that, he didn't practice all week. He went 16 out of 27 for 148 yards, had one touchdown, started the game one for seven, but then kind of found himself late in the first half, completing seven of nine on that critical two-minute drive that uh, resulted into a Jonathan Taylor touchdown right before the half. In the third quarter, he rolled to his right on a broken play of sorts and threw a pass to Ashton Doolin, in double coverage, the ball was tipped by two Raiders players, and then it luckily bounced perfectly to T.Y. Hilton for a 45-yard go-ahead touchdown, but his luck ran out down the stretch. He missed an open Hilton on a pass that could have been a touchdown, and the Colts' opportunity to go up by two scores went by the wayside. It resulted in a three-and-out, and the Raiders took the lead on the next possession. The Colts were just 3 out of 11 on third down. Wentz was 2 out of 7 for 9 yards on those plays. Does Wentz, Rick, does he deserve a mulligan after a wild week for him personally with the COVID stuff? 
No, I'm, I'm not going to give him a mulligan, and you know I'll explain why. He could easily give him a mulligan. We could, we can, you know, we can write this off as a missed practice week, but I don't, I don't buy that totally uh, for two reasons. One, in the 17th uh, week of the season, you know, basically, you know, and Frank said this also, mm-hmm. you know, guys are practicing less and less. I mean, he he had a short week game that he didn't, they didn't practice at all against Houston and he had 134 passer rating. So, you know, I don't think it's totally that obviously he was going to be a little rusty early in the game that I expected. I expected him to sail it a little bit early, uh, which he did. Uh, but I would say this, you know, by the time the half rolled around, he had a whole half underneath him and he had that two minute drive that was flawless. I mean, we, we went down there. I mean, we got almost half our passing yardage, in that drive and so by halftime now i'd give one half of regular nfl game football for three weeks of practice to be honest with you i think i think after the first part of the game that effect is gone and and i think that we have to know he has had a really good year he has he's he's eighth in qbr he was as high as sixth i mean there's a lot of things to like he's made great plays he made a game winner the week before but you always hear me say you have to keep Carson on the reservation. This is a kid that grew up as the best athlete on the playground, the guy that could win it by himself, take the game over. He is not he he is not a great mechanical quarterback. He has erratic mechanics and in there are phases of games where that ball was wide. Even last week when he came back and won it, there were two quarters where he was sailing the ball all over the place. There's no question about it. And I do question, and it's not just yesterday. We've seen this in the course of this year, much less his career. And part of that is having been the best athlete in the playground all the time. He will make a judgmental error that can be really very, very costly. And and I know Frank is working on that. I know Frank is aware of that. And they're trying to get him ironed out mechanically. But he is not mechanically efficient all the time and that's why a lot of those balls sail so i think if you wipe it off as missing practice you know i think i think you're living in denial i think we have to make sure that he is on the reservation that he can make the play when he has to Mm -hmm. but know when to and when not to yeah and to add on coach when Wentz has played poorly this year, he's responded really well. You know, after the first three games start, then, you know, his next three games, the Dolphins, the Ravens, Houston, I mean, he, w- he was off the charts. San Fran, throw it in there. You know, after we lost at home to Tennessee, he came back against the Jets and Jacksonville and Buffalo and was really good. And so I think he hasn't played his best football the last three weeks. You go back to half the Arizona game, the New England game, and this right. last game. So whatever he's got to figure out mechanically, you know, mentally, emotionally, getting on – track with his receivers you need to figure that out going into next week and I think obviously the Colts need to win the game but I also think it's important that Carson plays well and that he's feeling good about himself the receivers are feeling good that downfield passing game is feeling good going into the playoffs because while we got Jonathan Taylor we're turning the ball over defensively outside of yesterday our special teams has been really great all season those things you can pack for the playoffs and they travel but when you're playing against a Joe Burrow who's red hot or you're playing against potentially a Patrick Mahomes, you're just going to have to score points and you're going to have to do it through the pass game. And so this mulligan for Wentz is 
whatever errors we can have and fix it, that's all I'm focused on the next six days and getting everything oiled back up exactly. for Jacksonville yeah. because we're going to need Wentz playing at his best mm-hmm. to make a deep playoff run. Well said. All right, that's do they get a mulligan here on Colts Roundtable Live, 93.5 and 107.5. The fans, some normally solid parts of the Colts operation were just a little bit off yesterday as the Colts fell to the Raiders 23-20 to with a chance to clinch a playoff spot next Sunday in Jacksonville. When we come back, we're going to open up the mailbag. We'll talk about the Colts passing game and the special season for Jonathan Taylor. That's all in the way when we come back on Colts Roundtable Live here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. This is Roundtable Live, a full hour dedicated to Colts football. Here again is Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts, from the Power Home Solar Radio Studio. Welcome back again to Colts Roundtable Live tonight, brought to you by Citizens Energy Group. Proud to be the Colts conservation partner. Find winning conservation tips at citizensenergygroup.com. Tonight's show is also brought to you by Meyer, and the official super center of the Colts is, of course, Meyer, and proud sponsor of hundreds of local sports teams across the Midwest. I'm Matt Taylor, back again with Rick Venturi and Joe Wrights on Colts Roundtable Live with you until 7 o'clock tonight. It's time now for the mailbag segment. We're taking your Twitter questions. Send them in using hashtag Colts Roundtable. A lot of folks have already uh, chipped in and stacked the deck, so let's go to Chris's question. Um, What a trade for Matt Pryor. He has proven to be a good swing tackle, playing both tackle positions. He can also play guard as well. Uh, Joe, I'll give this to you. How did he play at left tackle for Fisher? I think he started at left tackle yesterday for the first time in his career. I thought he held up really well, and I think he played winning football. That's how we would define things in the offensive line room. You're obviously not going to win every single play, but Mm -hmm. did you make enough plays to kind of win your job and contribute to the team winning? And I thought that Pryor did that. He did a nice job in protection, especially in Gakwe. He's a really good rusher rusher who has given – I mean, he was one of the guys who gave Costanzo more problems than anybody when he played. I thought he held up well against him. I think he showed that he has the physical trait in terms of the size, the arm length, you know, some of the speed and agility to play left tackle. And bottom line, left tackle is just a different animal. And so the more you play it, the more you understand the certain nuances of the game, time and score, down and distance, when maybe to underset, overset, jump set a guy. I thought a couple times, if I want to nitpick, he drifted too far back in protection when he didn't need to and let a guy maybe get inside late. But overall, you know, Pryor was not our issue on the offensive line. I thought he held up really well. And being his first start, for left tackle, I thought he did a really nice job, and I think he really solidified himself for this team. Whatever role he's in, short and potentially long term, I thought the prior did a nice job. Yeah, he played left tackle for the injured Eric Fisher. We'll find out if he can play coming up on Sunday in week number 18 against the Jacksonville Jaguars. All right, let's go to Dan. He's asking, are you guys worried about our passing game heading into the playoffs? We've only been over 200 yards twice in the last seven games, and Dan is exactly right, Rick. If you look at the numbers Uh, The Colts threw for 148 yesterday against the Raiders. That was the third lowest total this season. Um, As Dan said, under 205 of the last seven. The Colts are uh, only averaging 168 passing yards in that span. That's 30th in the NFL in that time period. And the Colts only have three long passing plays over 25 yards in the last four games, Rick. So where are you right now in the Colts passing game heading into the last game of the regular season and a playoff run? I'm concerned, but I think we can. I think we can be so much better. I think what's happened to us, and I certainly understand Frank's dilemma. He, Frank has a dilemma. He has a dilemma in that he has the best asset running the ball 
in the National Football League. He's got a good offense, run-blocking offensive line. He's got the premier runner in the league. So there's always going to be that tendency to say players over plays, keep giving it to him, keep giving it to him, keep giving it to him. You know, he came under great criticism when he didn't do that against Tampa. But I believe personally now that we've gone the gamut, that we've overcorrected. And you tend to do that. We've overcorrected now. And this is what I mean by that. I mean, I knew going in, I knew going in from looking at tape that they were going to play that eight-man front, and they align in it. They don't even screw down to it. They align with that safety in the box. That's why they had 12 tackles. And so they're putting so many men up there. I mean, that 100 yards plus now, that is tough duty for Jonathan. I mean, he did a lot of that on his own. I mean, I mean, it's just hard duty because they're getting you with numbers. But, they're to, but to do that, they are stripping the outside. They're basically making their two corners naked. And these were just average corners. We saw it in the fourth quarter of the Arizona game when we threw on the outside against Arizona. That's how we won the game. We hit two to Pittman. We hit one. Uh, to Hilton, we go down, and then Wentz makes the good play. But until we opened that up, they had to stop. And everybody's got that figured out. I mean, they're just going to keep that up. They're going to keep those guys. They're going to shoot those gaps. And so we have got to get down. I'm not saying it's a 50-50 balance, but we have to challenge that outside third on first down when we know what that coverage is, when it's soft, when all we've got to do is run goes and outs and comebacks. We don't even have to be complicated and work on that and let Wentz get started on first down. The problem, the third and 11 comes because on third down, that's when they get in tough man-to-man coverage. They don't play man in the early downs, but on third down, they come down in that tough man. We don't have an ambient receiver. We don't have guys that can separate by themselves. Yeah. It has to be schemed to get them open. And so what happens is you are asking Wentz to throw in nothing but disadvantaged situations. And I think that affects him. I think if you come out and open it up a little bit like we did early in the season on first down, I think that'll pick him up. But there's no way that you're going to go to the mountaintop against the defenses you're going to look at with 148 yards passing. It's just not, it's not going to happen. I think the, the question is very well versed, and I think we can get a hell of a lot better. But, again, we've kind of overcorrected, and I think we've got to have, that, have maybe that happy medium. Maybe with us, if there's 21st downs, maybe seven of them, Matt, are going to work on that outside third, if you follow what I'm saying. So what's the answer? we got about 30 seconds then, Rick. I mean, is the answer just throwing the ball more on first and second down to make Jonathan Taylor more efficient in the well, running game? Yeah, that is my point. On first and 10 and second and five or less, those mm-hmm. are what I call unknown downs. Sure. Unknown because run and pass, you know, it's maybe not 50-50, but it's, it's in a tight ratio. Right, right. So what teams are doing to us and and this was exaggerated Sunday because they lined up in it all day. They didn't even move down to it like Arizona did. And so basically they're saying we're going to play eight guys from tackle to tackle, from tight end to tight end, and our corners are alone. So on those downs are the downs that we have got to mix it up a little. I'm not saying go 50-50 and take it out of Jonathan's hands. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying RPOs. I'm just saying go after that outside third maybe seven out of 20 times, and loosen that damn thing up, you might end up making the running game better because we can't continue to be stubborn and think we're going to make it. 
Tonight's show is brought to you by EverStream, Indy's business-only fiber network, faster fiber and better business. All right, when we come back, we'll close out the show. We'll take a look at the AFC playoff race and talk about the trip to Jacksonville for the Colts, where they have not won since 2014. That's coming up next here on Colts Roundtable Live on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. You're locked in to Colts Roundtable Live, a look at the latest action with the Indianapolis Colts. For more Colts talk, here's Matt Taylor, live from the Power Home Solar Radio Studio. We're back for the final time here on Colts Roundtable Live, brought to you by Citizens Energy Group. Proud to be the Colts conservation partner. Find winning conservation tips at citizensenergygroup.com. Tonight's show is also brought to you by Caesars. All season long, play our predictive game, Pick 6, brought to you by Caesars Sportsbook. Visit the Colts app every week before kickoff and click on Pick 6 to submit your answers for a chance to win. Colts prizes must be 21 to play. I'm Matt Taylor with Rick Venturi and Joe Wrights. We're closing out the show. Uh, Taking a look at the Week 18 AFC standings, the Titans are uh, in a position here to be the number one overall seed uh, in the AFC. They clinched the AFC South for the second straight year uh, yesterday with a, a win for themselves and a Colts loss. The Chiefs are 11-5 at number two. The Bengals 10-6. They wrapped up the AFC North with a win on Sunday, and they won their division for the first time since 2015. The Bills are at 10-6. The Patriots at number five. They're 10-6. And And then the Wild Cards uh, after that, the Colts at 9-7 and and the Chargers at 9-7. But the Raiders on the outside looking in, they're at 9-7 as well, and they are still very much in the hunt. So, Joe, as we wrap up, uh, taking a look at the Jaguars, the last time the Colts beat Jacksonville on the road, I think you were still two years away from retirement. Andrew Luck was still the quarterback, and the Colts are in a must-win situation and in a place where they haven't won since 2014. I know about the Jaguars, right? They're 2-14 and 14 on an eight-game losing streak. They got blasted by the Patriots yesterday, 50-10. to 10. New head coach or an interim coach after the Urban Meyer experiment did not work. That being said, they're still an NFL team and they have NFL players on the roster. Joe, what do you expect from the Colts this week in practice after they stubbed their toe on Sunday against the Raiders? Well, one, I think if you're frank, you can just put on week one from last year and realize that the one game they won was against us down there. there. And for whatever reason, we've struggled there the last five, six years. I think one of it is... Jacksonville views us as maybe a higher rival than we view them. And I think they really get up for the Colts week week in, week out, year in, year out. And I think they'll be ready this game. Expect them to just unload their complete, you know, cannon. What are they going to do? Fake punt, onside kick, trick plays. I mean, it really could be the Wild West coming out of Jacksonville. But bottom line, they're a bad team. They got, I mean, rolled by 40 yesterday by New England. The Colts are a 15-point favorite. We need to go in there and not just win but dominate, play well, and get ourselves feeling good about wherever we're going to travel week one in the playoffs. Rick, as we said, the Jaguars are a mess. Uh, Daryl Bevel, now the offensive coordinator, he's the interim coach as well at this point. Uh, Trevor Lawrence hasn't had the season they envisioned with him as the number one overall draft pick. Give us the skinny on where the Jaguars are in Week 18. Well, you're exactly right. But the one thing that we can't let our team believe is that they're a bad team. And it's Mm -hmm. very easy to do that. You know, rather than focus on the 50 to whatever loss, All you have to do is take out week game, week 10 of this season. And for all practical purposes, with the exception of Robinson, the running back, which is one of your favorites, Ungambuali, (laughs) he's back. (laughs) He's the running back. (laughs) But with with the exception of Robinson, 
The team is almost exactly intact from when it was there with Lawrence and Allen on defense and Mac and all that gang. Now, take me, let me take you back to week 10, okay? Week 10, we beat them 23-7, to and if Deo doesn't strip that ball on our 40 with a minute to go, they are in position to win the game. So let's, let's keep a perspective. I'm going to show that game. They did a great job on us on defense. They did one of the best tactical and effort games of slowing our offense and our running game. They brought five most of the day and played hard pressing man to man, which we talked about before. They ran the hell out of our edges. Remember the wide receiver ran 67 yards for a touchdown. They're using Austin. That's the one other guy they lost. They're using Austin, the kid that, that, that can go in that position. They killed us on the edges. They had a ton of rushing yardage. And the other thing that killed us, and he struggled all year, but the quarterback killed us with his legs. We didn't have a good rush plan. He made three or four key first downs. So to me, all you have to do is take that tape out of week 10, Colts Jacksonville, Mm -hmm. okay, in the dome, if you want a wake-up call here, because if you don't have it together, this will be the biggest catastrophe in Colts history. All right, fellas, we got to run tonight. Great job, as always. Rick Venturi and Joe Wrights. That's all the time we have tonight. My thanks to everybody who joined the show tonight and tweeted in their questions. My thanks as well to Frank Reich, who joined in the first segment. If you missed any of that interview and the full show, it's going to be posted here shortly on Colts.com and the Colts mobile app. We'll have more on the Colts and the Jags all week long to close out the regular season here on these airwaves. But Inside IU Basketball is coming up next. Have a great night, everybody, and we will talk to you next Monday here on Colts Roundtable Live on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Good night.